cure for self-righteousness is brokenness. The cure for self-righteousness is humility. Once you start thinking that you deserve the blessing of God, you and I, we are in one dangerous place. God has been gracious to us and we need to be merciful to others. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. Well, we may not want to admit it, but we're all susceptible to self-righteous thoughts and actions. We've had moments of feeling that our relationship to Christ entitles us to enjoy certain benefits beyond our eternity in heaven. Well, the truth is we deserve nothing but God's wrath for failing to live up to His standard of righteousness. If it wasn't for His mercy, we'd be lost forever. Well, the Old Testament prophet Jonah is teaching us many things about how not to serve God. God asked him to do something, and because of self-righteousness, Jonah refused. God had to get his attention, and fortunately, Jonah responded. The result was an entire city was saved from God's judgment. But even though Jonah ultimately responded to God, he unwisely held on to his self-righteousness. Well, today Crawford begins to wrap up our multi-week series called God's Severe Mercy, and today's message is titled Meltdown. Our text is Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Let's join Crawford right now, here on Living a Legacy. Uh, we've been in the book, and this is, uh, this is the final installment in, in our, our study of the book of Jonah. Uh, the, the theme of the book of Jonah is God's severe mercy. God's severe mercy. You see how God has been merciful and demonstrated his mercy all throughout the book, his mercy to Jonah, his mercy to Nineveh, and then grabbing his attention here in chapter 4. Now, let me just say something to you quickly here. If, if I was writing the book of Jonah, I would probably end at chapter 3, because that's a high point of the book. As you read the book, man, I mean, Jonah says no to God in chapter 1, puts his hand up to God, said, I ain't going to Nineveh. I'm going in the opposite direction. I'm going to Tarsus. I do not like the Ninevites because that's the capital of the Assyrian empires, and the Assyrians, are, they're our enemy. They are vile. They are vicious. They, they are violent people. No, I'm not going. So Jonah has the audacity to tell God, no, well, in so many words, God says, you going to tell me no? <laughs> really? We'll see about this. Uh, Jonah's sin is exposed on that ship that's going to the opposite direction. There's this violent storm that God hurls at the ship to get Jonah's attention. Jonah says, I'm your problem. When the sailor says, what's going on? And um, he, he says, well, throw me overboard. Well, they accommodate him and they throw him overboard. It seems like Jonah would rather die than obey God. But as he's, as he's thrown into the water, God provides this incredible big fish that swallows Jonah. And Jonah is going to his watery grave. And finally, he cries uncle and says, salvation is of God. As soon as he says that, God sends this big fish near the shore, throws Jonah up on the shore, and Jonah's given another chance. And this is sort of like the climax of the book, right? Chapter 3, Jonah preaches an eight-word message. Yet in 40 days, Nineveh shall be destroyed. And it's that message as he walks through Nineveh, to, to his surprise, the Ninevites respond. It is absolutely incredible. Everybody from the king, from the highest to the least in the society, even the animals wore sackcloth and ashes. And an extraordinary thing takes place. You would think that that would be the time of celebration. Well, now we get to chapter 4. Chapter 4, no matter how you look at it, is a downer. 
Like I said, you would rather end on chapter 3. But chapter 4, uh, I've entitled it this because see, I don't think there's any other way of saying it. Chapter 4, I've entitled the chapter 4 and the message here, Meltdown. Meltdown. Jonah has an adult meltdown in chapter, chapter 4. Now, let's, let's step back a little bit. I made the observation almost from the very beginning that Jonah's number one problem was self-righteousness. That was his number one problem. Jonah felt like he had the conclusions about what was right and what was wrong. So Jonah was filled with self-righteousness. Now, before we get too hard on Jonah, we've got to realize that self-righteousness is the normal human condition. That's right. Even for those of us who exhibit a little bit more humility and that kind of thing, because self-righteousness really is, is the expression of pride. And Jonah was self-righteous. That was his condition. And, and although Jonah's self-righteousness had been diminished, as you get to chapter 4, you realize it had not been destroyed. You say, well, how could that be? He cries out, salvation is of God, and there seems to be somewhat of repentance in Jonah's life. Well, yes, there is. But Jonah's just like the rest of us. Just because you come to know, I should, well, yeah, let me say, just because you come to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord does not mean that then therefore you will not struggle with some of the stronghold sins that you had before. And simply because you repent of a particular sin does not necessarily mean that that sin will not plague you and bother you later on. So he did sincerely repent, but it was a stronghold in his life. This self-righteousness had, had wrapped itself like a kudzu vine around Jonah's heart and mind. And it didn't take much to trigger Jonah. And what triggered him was that God did exactly what Jonah felt he was going to do but did not want him to do. Well, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because I do want to go back a little bit and remind us of the characteristics of self-righteousness. I said this in an earlier message, but I want to remind us of this because as you go through chapter 4, if you have this reminder in your heart and mind, these characteristics are sort of the wallpaper of this narrative, it will help you to understand Jonah's rage and Jonah's lack of response. There are many characteristics, but I, I think that there are three dominant characteristics of self-righteous people. The first one is this. Self-righteous people have a hard time extending grace and mercy to others, although they demand it ironically for themselves. They have a very difficult time extending grace and mercy to other people, although they demand it for themselves. That's one of the signatures of a self-righteous person. They can be hard as nails on the smallest little imperfection, the smallest little inconsistency in someone else's life, and yet, frankly, you can knock them over with a feather when criticism comes their way. They want you to give them grace and mercy. Second characteristic of self-righteous individuals is that they present themselves as the standard. And that was Jonah. Jonah presented himself as the standard. I didn't come right out and say that, but the, the, the audacity to tell God no. And we're going to see here in a few moments as he actually rebukes God himself. Using God's word, flips it around and slaps God in the face with it. Jonah thought he was the standard. The third characteristic of self-righteous people is that 
they judge others and assume that God, even God himself, will measure up to their expectations. We're going to see this here, here in this passage. And this was Jonah's problem all the way along, that God had to measure up with, to his expectations. Because after all, Jonah thought that he was a righteous person. He was the standard. And so now we see this meltdown when God does something that Jonah does not like. Rather than, rather than Jonah questioning his own heart motivations and being broken and repentant, what does he do? He wants to criticize, pull down, and malign, if I might say this, the very character of God. You might think I'm extreme, but let's walk through the text. So now we come to this narrative, this meltdown. And this meltdown is, is, is really uh, uh, charted by these three observations. Verses 1 through 4, there's regret. Verses 5 through 9, there's resistance. And then verses 10 and 11, 10 and 11, there's God's rebuke. First of all, there is regret in verses 1 through 4. Listen to these words. Now, Nineveh has repented. Incredible, incredible thing, an, an amazing movement of God's power and God's spirit. So these enemies of God have repented. So now listen to what Jonah says here, or what takes place here in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? In other words, I told you so. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarsus. I knew you were going to do this. For I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, listen to this. Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. God responds in verse 4, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Uh, listen, listen. Jonah was angry. Verse 1 says he was angry. Uh, literally, literally, the word, the, the, the Hebrew says that Jonah was hot. Jonah was enraged. And by the way, by the way, verse 1 says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. In the Hebrew, there's an alternative rendering that says that what, it says that what God did was exceedingly evil to Jonah. Was evil to Jonah. Because, because God forgave the Ninevites, because they repented, because God stayed his hand of judgment on the, uh, on the Ninevites, Jonah has the audacity to say that what God did was evil. Man, do you see this, the audacity here? His stubborn self-righteousness? God moved in a powerful way, and Jonah is hot. He is angry, and he just rejects and repudiates the goodness of God to the Ninevites. I love what Tim Keller says in his wonderful book on, on Jonah called The Prodigal Prophet. He makes this observation about these verses. He says, uh, Keller says, do artists get angry when a prominent museum accepts their art for an installation? Do musicians get angry when they are given a standing ovation at Carnegie Hall? Why then, when Jonah has preached to the toughest audience of his life and they have responded positively down to the last person, would he melt down in such furious rage? 
this does not make sense. Jonah, God didn't meet your expectations. But what he sent you to do, you were successful at. Like Keller says, you, you drew stick figures and it, became, and it was put in this high museum. You couldn't sing a lick, but you got a, got a standing ovation at Carnegie Hall. You preached an eight-word sermon. And they responded. Help me understand, why are you mad at me? Why are you mad at me? You're angry because I didn't do what you wanted me to do. Uh, you know, we got to be careful that we don't get too hard on Jonah. Because many of us are like that too. We, we have these hijacked expectations that we want to place on God. We think God should just beat up our enemies. We don't want them to repent. We don't want them to respond to God. Because we feel like they deserve justice and separation. In fact, if you look closely at verse 2, Jonah actually is quoting Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And you know, in so many words, I mean, this is, this is not a good thing. He actually is, is twisting God's intentions and twisting his words. And out of anger and disgust, Jonah actually has the audacity to rebuke the Lord. And I want to say something to all of us here. Um, Let's be very careful about trying to domesticate God. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we may have a set of assumptions about what God ought to do and what he ought to be and how he ought to respond and how, and we get very prescriptive in terms of what God ought to do about the injustices in society, about people, about my own particular pet peeve or the folks that I don't like or the enemies of the United States of America and how they ought to be taken care of and those kind of things. But when God doesn't do that, we, we get upset, we get angry because obviously he should do these things. Let me remind all of us here, including this old boy up here, okay? God will not be domesticated. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't make God into our own image. We don't control him. He does not exist to validate our desires. He does not exist to solidify our self-righteousness. You don't, you, don't, you don't put God on a leash and tell him to heal. God does whatever he wants to do, and whatever he wants to do, we say yes to him, and we surrender to his will and to his purposes and to his plan. Why? Because he's God. And Jonah didn't get that. Well, he had gotten it before when he cried out, salvation and deliverance is of the Lord. But as I said, this, this, this self-righteousness, there was a stronghold in his life. So once again, when he is disappointed, what does he do? Rather than remember that he almost died... He rails on God. Why'd you let this happen to me? How come you disappointed me, God? Well, that's not a very good place, a good place to be. So Jonah moves from this whole idea of a uh, of, 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 of strong rage and regret. But then he also, <laughs> then he also steps into resistance. 
God, God does some amazing things here in verses five through nine just to sort of get his attention, give him an object lesson. You know, here's the point. Jonah does not, God does not respond to Jonah the way Jonah is responding to God. God jo- Jonah is railing on God and saying, you ought to be just. You ought to let the hammer down. You ought to let this garbage go on. These are enemies of your people. You ought to do that. But God responds to Jonah the same way he responded to Nineveh, out of mercy. God is being tender to Jonah. Verse 5 here. So there's resistance. There's resistance to God's initiative in in reaching out in mercy and gentleness to Jonah. Verse 5 says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. He sat under it in the shade till it should till uh, he should see what would become of the city. Now, this is a picture of an adult uh, pouting. This is an adult pouting. Homeboy has this meltdown, okay? It's kind of like, and I I just hate to say this, I'm not being overly dramatic. It's so like, you know, you didn't do what I told you. It's hot out here, so he makes this kind of crude booth to shade him. And then he just looks toward the city. God, do something. Burn it down. Strike it with lightning. You see this resistance in him. I don't like what you did. I don't like what you did. His actions are childish downright silly but some of us are like that ourselves there have been times in my life when i have thrown a little bit of an adult temper tantrum don't get your way something doesn't happen i had a friend of mine that uh, was praying about something for another friend uh, who had gotten into some trouble and He was praying, 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 and God didn't answer his prayer the way he wanted him to, and boy, he just went off. He just said, I don't believe in intercessory prayer anymore. He just went to the extreme. And so don't say this doesn't happen to us. The expectation is not met, and Jonah's just sitting there looking, waiting for something to turn, uh, uh, to to, to change. Now, verse 6 says, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Look at the tender mercy of God. Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. Here you are, you're pitching a fit, buddy. You're having a meltdown. You put this little, little messed up shanty thing over here. You're sitting out there pouting, and you want me to rain down judgment on them. So what does God do? So God, in his tender mercy, says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a plant that will help shade you. I'm going to help shade you. What was the message? Yeah. Jonah was glad for his own comfort, but he missed the object lesson. The point here was that, you know, God was trying to say to him, yeah, you, you're, a little, you're, a little, you're a little duplicitous here, buddy. You're, you're a hypocrite. You're a masterful hypocrite. 
You're glad for your own comfort, but you, 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 don't want, you don't want the Ninevites to have relief from their judgment. But you're happy. You know, I can take you out of here because you know better. You, listen to what you just said to me. You perverted my word. You're rebuking me. I made you. I could take you out of that, but you're happy for your own comfort, right? But you're a hypocrite. You, you want judgment for them. What about your own heart? You see, parenthetically, the cure for self-righteousness is brokenness. The cure for self-righteousness is humility. Once you start thinking that you deserve the blessing of God, you and I, we are in one dangerous place. Entitlement is the grand enemy to a healthy Christian walk. We don't deserve anything from the hand of God. We deserve hell. We deserve eternal separation. And how dare we withhold anything from anybody else that's not in our power to give them or to take away from them? God has been gracious to us, and we need to be merciful to others. It's God saying by, by, by raising up this plant, you don't deserve what I'm giving to you. You don't deserve it. What makes you think, what makes you think that I should withhold mercy from anybody else? Well, now we come to verses 7 and 8, and God continues this object lesson. He says, okay, I'm going to give you some shade, but I'm going to take it away the next day. Verse 7 says, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. <laughs> a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Now, this is, this is so, so this is the third time in this book that homeboy has asked God to kill him. If he can't have his way, I, I, to kill me. Kill me. Evidently, he forgot, he forgot chapter two. He forgot chapter two because when he asked God to, to, to throw me overboard and, I, and I, it's better for me to die, well, he changed his mind once he got into the belly of that big fish and he realized that he was headed toward his watery grave and he understood the reality of, 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 of death. And so Jonah has these extremes in his personality. So once again, he asked God to kill him. You know, after the first day, God provides uh, the worm that destroyed the plant and the next day a scorching uh, wind that left Jonah exposed and in discomfort. And so once again, wants to die. Well, God has a poignant response for Jonah, and we'll look at that next week. So sorry, but our time is gone for today. Well, I think we're learning that self-righteousness is extremely counterproductive, especially when we fail to see the weaknesses in our own lives. Meltdown, the title of today's message by our speaker, Crawford Loretz. Next week, we'll wrap up our multi-week series called God's Severe Mercy, a study of the life of Jonah. Hope you'll be right back here with us. Now, to hear all previous messages in this series, check out our website and look for the link past programs. And if you found this series to be helpful, one you'd like to have for future reference, take a few moments to download it to your computer or audio device. The message downloads are free. Look for the MP3 link at livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. 
Have you checked in by way of email? If you join us each week, let us know you're there. You'll find the Contact Us link on our website. I'm Bill Davis. Thank you so much for listening. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.